the church, the body of Christ. And last week, this is going to be kind of our key text that we started with last week in Matthew chapter 16. And um, we need to identify in this day and age where we are now what the church is supposed to look like. Because there's a lot of things out there right now that call themselves church, have the label of church. Um, But the Bible specifically shows us what the church is supposed to look like. And uh, here in Matthew chapter 16, let's go ahead and look at it. This is Jesus speaking with Peter. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week so you can be up to speed where we're at and give you an idea. But here in Matthew chapter 16 and verse uh, 17. Verse 17, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What just happened was Jesus was asking his disciples, Who do people say that I am? What are they saying about me? They're talking about me. What's going on? Well, some people say you're uh, Elijah. Some people say you're Moses. Some people say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Peter speaks up. Jesus says, Who do you? think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, well, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Jesus says to him, uh, flesh and blood has not shown you this. He said, you didn't come up with that on your own. The Holy Spirit showed you. My father who is in heaven showed you. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, everyone say rock. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He said here, Jesus speaking, said, I will build my church. Now, this is interesting. We've read this many times, and we've never really taken a look at it. But we looked at a few words last week. One of the key words that we looked at was the word my. And remember, we said that this word my is not just something possessive, not just saying it belongs to me or I own it. It was this word my actually means a part of, meaning attached to. Meaning it's more than uh, that vehicle is my truck. It belongs to me. It's this is my arm. It's a part of me. It's attached to me. Okay. It's, it, it's, it not only belongs to me, but it cannot be disconnected from me. And if it is disconnected from me, it's no longer a part of me. So he said, my church. And then he also went on, or at the beginning of there, he said, I will build. Which means he's not leaving this up to anybody else to take care of building his church. Jesus is building his church. Well, how many of you know that if somebody is building something, If you want to see what it's supposed to be designed like or what it's supposed to look like, then you're going to go to the one who's building it. Um, For, you know, I used these walls as an example last week. got these walls going up. Um, I did not have, I had a picture in my mind of what walls would look like, but I didn't see this. But the person who built them, his name is Brian Anglin from St. Augustine, Florida. He came up here and he put all this framework up. He could see that. And it was his design. So if I wanted to find out how we're going to build these walls, I needed to go to him and say, okay, what do we need? 
And I did. What products do we need? We went to Home Depot. He showed me what screws we needed. He showed me what nails we needed. He showed me uh, how much lumber we needed, what type of lumber, um, all the whole thing. Why? Because he's building it. He's designing it. He's the one putting it together. I can't do that on my own. And Brian, thank goodness he didn't leave it to me to do it. He did it on his own. He came up here um, and, and took care of that. And so if you want to see the original intent for something, you need to go to the person who originally intended it. And this is why when we talk about the kingdom, we go back to Genesis. Because when I'm talking to you about who you are in the kingdom, I'm not st- talking about uh, you and who you are today. I'm talking about who God sees you becoming. And I don't even see that. Not until the Holy Spirit shows me. He shows me what gifts you have. He shows me what you're going to do in the kingdom. He shows me your future, and he shows you. And you continue to walk that out. How many of you know that if the Holy Spirit or God showed you your entire future right now, you probably wouldn't do it? I'll tell you right now, the past seven years of my life, I probably would not have followed through with half of the plans that God had for me because I would have quit at children's ministry. I would have stopped there, not knowing that the children's ministry part of my life that I have just done for the past five years was uh, so important and so valuable in, to me doing what I'm doing today. But if he showed me that seven years ago when I left Texas and moved to Florida, I wouldn't have moved. I would have said, no, God, you must be wrong. I have no desire to work with children. And at that time, I didn't. I didn't care for children. I didn't care to be around them. I mean, no, I liked them, but I, working with them on a regular basis, no. It didn't drive me nuts. It did drive me nuts. And we, we respected each other. They stayed away from me, and I stayed away from them. I didn't go into that, that pile, okay? But who knew that that was going to be the avenue that God got me to walking out where I'm at today? Um, so God is the original designer. God is the original builder. And Jesus is the builder of his church. That word build means that it's going to be constructed. It's going to be put together, that there's going to be different units and different pieces of this puzzle that are going to be put together to make one unit. I mean, if you know, this building that we're in right now is not made up of just one unit. I mean, you can see the concrete slabs where they're poured. You know that there's steel pillars on the outside. We've got, you know, wooden ones on the inside. We've got door frames. We've got windows, all these different things that are put together. And who puts it together? God, Jesus, Jesus said he will build his church, which means that there's no part of this building that has the right to say where they think they should go. Okay, I used this pulpit last week. It's a very strong pulpit, but it's not going to be a corner piece of this building. So it can't say, you know, I really don't, I'm tired of being a pulpit and I'm tired of people throwing Bibles on top of me. I want to go in the corner. I want to hold up the building. I want to be one of the main structures. Not going to happen. That's not its use. Uh, It's got glass on it, but it doesn't stand there and say, you know what, I want to be a window. I got glass. Look at me. I've got that kind of use. I got that kind of talent. See, sometimes we think that we have a talent or a use that would be good in one area, but we allow God to show us where our fit is. It's as he pleases, and we saw that in 1 Corinthians. So then we spent some time last week. We talked about how uh, God, throughout the Bible, 
uses pictures of things that we see and understand to explain something that we can't see. Um, And we've seen this throughout the Bible, but specifically with the church, God used the term body. The body. And we saw this in Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to go to those verses today, but Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that the church is a body. Well, we all know how a body works. We all know how a body functions. We all know what a body looks like. So that's easy, that's easy for us to understand how the church is supposed to work. And we said that if we had natural bodies that were working the way that a lot of churches are working today, we'd have some pretty dysfunctional bodies. Because there's things that are going on in the church today that shouldn't be going on. Because it's not working as a body. It's not working as one unit. And that one unit is made up of many members. Many members. I have feet. I have legs. I have hands. I have a head. I have arms. Okay? And then there's also things that you can't see. I have a brain. I have a heart. I have a stomach. I have lungs. Okay? With many members all working with each other as one unit. No one, look, no one looks at me and says, hey, there's Mark's head and his body. Or there goes Mark's head, his body, and his arms and his leg. Oh, look, he's even got his feet with him. It's one unit. It's all summed up in Mark. Okay? So we identified that the church is described as the body. And, and further into the series, we're going to take a deeper look at the body and a deeper look at the church. Well, this week, um, I, I want to get into looking at the head, the head of the church. We want to look at who's the head, who's leading this thing, because how many of you know that this whole thing is run by the head? Okay? And the head tells the hand when to step in. The hand tells the legs when to move somewhere. The head tells uh, the mouth when to swallow. The head tells that it all comes from the head to keep the body functioning and keep the body working together as one unit. So I want to look at that today. That's going to be our main uh, area of focus. Uh, so let's look at this. In, um, let's start with Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where is Christ seated? At the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things. Everybody say all things. He put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And gave him to be what? Head over all things to the what? Church. So who's the head? Who's the church? We are. We're the body. Which is his body. The fullness or the perfection of him who fills all in all. That word fullness, when you see that, that means perfection. And perfection means mature. Okay? Just to throw that out there. But Christ is the head. We are the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of who? Christ. Body of Christ, uh, you can say this, that this is the body of Mark. This is my body. Okay? So if the church is the body, and you're the body of Christ, and the church belongs to Christ, you are a part of Christ. Okay? There's no separation. Understand, there's no separation from the head and the body. We just said, that when you see me walking down the street, you don't say, there's Mark's head and he has his body with him. There's no separation. There's no distinction. It's one. One unit. Okay? So let's look at this. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The, the working of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ comes for the working of ministry to encourage you so that we can all be the stature of Christ, the fullness, the perfection of Christ. What does that mean? That means that I am here preaching to you right now so you can look more like Jesus. Amen. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the what? Christ, from the whole who? Body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Did you know you bring a supply? It's awesome. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Does its share. Look at this. And it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself. As the body grows, you're making yourself stronger. You're making the church stronger. Okay? So back up there, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, in case you were still wondering, from whom the whole body. So who's the head? Christ. Who's the body? We are, the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians five twenty-two. This is normally a verse that we use when we're talking about marriage or the role of the husband, the role of the wife. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, here it is, as also Christ is the head of the church. So, so far we've got, what is that, three? Three or four verses, three verses that we've hit that have shown us that Christ is the head. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I would venture to say that there are some churches out there that aren't in subjection to Christ. 
And again, this is a tough thing in our nation, in our society right now, that leadership is looked down upon. This thing is backwards. There's a lot of things that are backwards in our church, or in American society, I'm sorry, in American society. Now, in churches, there are some things that are backwards. But this thing of subjection, being in subjection to something and, and uh, being under leadership, I mean, we make fun of leadership. I mean, we talk about leadership derogatory, in derogatory ways. And everybody thinks that they can do it better. And then we vote on it, and we take opinions and polls, right? These things are happening right now, but not in the kingdom of God. You didn't vote Jesus out, and you can't vote, you didn't vote Jesus in, you can't vote him out. Nobody got together and said, yes, I think God should be king, and he became king. No, he was king before you were ever here, and long after you're gone, he'll still be king. Okay? So this isn't a democracy. This isn't a republic. You've got to change our American mindset that being in subjection to somebody that has your best interest at heart is the greatest thing on the face of the planet because you're in a kingdom. You're in a kingdom with the king that loves you. You're in a kingdom with the king that has your best interest at heart. Everything he chooses for you, every step that he makes for you, he's trying to keep you in his boundaries. People hate boundaries. People hate limitations. We want to expand and be our own person and do our own thing and we have our own free will. But in the kingdom of God, there are boundaries that keep you on the path. And the Bible is very clear. It's a narrow path. And you know what? With, with a narrow path come narrow boundaries. So if your life, when you came into the kingdom, all of a sudden seemed a little tighter, good. You're on the right road. You're going the right way. You mean I can't do that? Nope. Well, guess what? It's just better for you. You mean I can't go over there and hang out with those people anymore? Nope. You got a wall. We got a boundary. And you can get off of that thing, but thank God we can stay on it. It said wide is the gate. That means... There's a lot of people thinking they're doing their own free will and doing their own thing, and they're going to get somewhere, and this road's going to take them a place they didn't think they were going. Or a place they didn't want to go. It was, the road was fun. And that ain't to say that living for God ain't fun, because living for God is the funnest thing I've ever done. I'll tell you right now. It's the coolest thing. All right, so that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom, and the the church, the body, is in subjection to Jesus. He's the head. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. I just want to stamp this thing in tonight. Who is the head? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things consist. And here it is, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So, who's the head? Who's the head? Who's the body? Church. We are. All right, so we're just getting this thing in there. Verse 24. 
Colossians 1 verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. It's his body. So I think we've, we've, we've narrowed it down. We've labeled it. He is the head. We are the church. The church is in subjection to the head. Very simple. Now, here's where I kind of want to want to turn the page a little bit, because uh if there's any doubt in your mind that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, uh, then I don't know what else I could do. I just gave you about five or six verses there. But um, I want to turn the page just a little bit here because to correctly represent the head, we need to correctly identify the head. And this is what has happened um, in church specifically is we don't know who the head is. Yes, we may know it's Jesus, but we aren't painting a clear picture of Jesus and who he is. Therefore, we are not representing him well in the earth. Because if Jesus is the head and we are his body, then that means that whatever we do should be what he wants us to do. And should line up with who he is. I mean, if my body is doing something that my head doesn't want it to do, then there's a problem. This is dysfunctional. That's abnormal. That's not proper. You go to the doctor for these kind of things. I mean, very simple. If you've got a part of your body that's bleeding out and it shouldn't be bleeding out, you go to the doctor. That's not normal. Well, that's my body. You know, it'll do whatever it wants to do, but that's not what I want to do, so I'll just keep doing my thing up here. No, what I want done is carried out by my body. If I need to go to the bathroom, my body will carry that out, walk me to the bathroom. If I want to go outside, my body will walk outside. If my body wants to take a drink of water, it will grab a hold of a bottle of water and drink it. My body is carrying those things, and it has not doing it. I mean, if it was just up to the head, I'd be in trouble. If I'm thirsty and it was up to this right here to get some water, unless somebody else is bringing it to me, I'm in trouble. But you know what? God is so good. He made provision that my body could actually take care of the head. And then in return, the head's then taking care of the body. Because when I drink that water, my mouth may be thirsty, but I'm getting nutrients into my system, that water's giving off oxygen. So we need to understand what the head is supposed to like, look like, who the head is. If we don't correctly identify the head, then we will misrepresent the head in the earth, period. And this has been happening. So let's take a look at this. Isaiah chapter 9, it's the first verse I want to look at. Jesus Christ, head of the church. Jesus Christ, the head of the church. The head of the body of Christ. Isaiah chapter 9. This is a familiar verse. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9. I think that we... Um, you know, 
for me to put something in you, sometimes I got to take something out. Um, this has happened in my own life recently where I've had to literally change my thinking on some things. It's called repentance. That's what that word repent means. It just means to change your thinking. It just means, yeah, I saw it this way, but now I need to see it this way. And what causes repentance should be the word. The word is what should change our thinking. And for me to put in you the proper image of Christ and the proper image of the head of the church, um, it's going to require us to get rid of some stuff. Okay? And we've made Jesus out to be this suffering servant. But when he comes back, he's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming at, back as the king of kings and a lord of lords, reigning with authority and with power. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a verse we read at Christmas time, but it's not Christmas and it's still good. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice that child and son are both capitalized. It means we're referring to Jesus. Child is born unto us, a son is given. Who is the child? Who is the son? Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus' birth. And the government will be upon his shoulder. That's interesting. I'm going to tell you right now, and here's what we have to get rid of. Jesus is not a religious leader. Period. Man made him a religious leader over a man-made religion. Because God, in Genesis, said nothing about, I am putting Adam and Eve on this earth to be Christians. That's not his term. He didn't come up with that. So, here we see Jesus being spoken of, and it says, And the government will be upon his shoulder. He's a government leader. He's a governing leader. What government was on his shoulder? The kingdom of God. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government is on his shoulder. The prince. Those are not religious terms. Those are government terms. Those are leadership terms. In our day and age, if you said that this is the prince of somebody then you would see them as a government official. You wouldn't look at them and say, oh, I wonder what religion he's over. You wouldn't do it. We have devalued Jesus by making him just another religious leader. And when you do that, you put him on the same level as Muhammad, same level as Buddha, same level as uh, any of these leaders that we call religious leaders. They're simply people that believed a certain way and other people joined with them. That's not what Jesus came to bring at all. Jesus said nothing about come down, uh, come follow me and believe what I say. No, he said do what I do. He said speak what I speak. That was Jesus. Jesus did not come down here and say I'm, giving, I'm coming here and I'm bringing you a new way of believing, a new belief system. He said, I'm bringing a kingdom. He said, the, the time is at hand, and now is that the kingdom of God is on this earth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. 
That's what Jesus came to bring. The rest of this passage says, of the increase of his government. His government. That means it belongs to him. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it, establish it with judgment, justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 9, we've read it every Christmas. We've thrown it up there. Unto us the child is born. A son is given. And the government is on his shoulders. Now, shoulders, we'll just take a little sidetrack. Shoulders, is that still part of the head? That's part of the body. And who's the body? All right. So this government is actually... Resting on us. We are the government of God. We'll get into that later. Um, John chapter 18. If you don't believe Isaiah, maybe you'll believe Jesus. You know, Jesus was put to death not because uh, people got tired of seeing him perform miracles and Cast out devils. You know why he was put to death? He's put to death for treason, for calling himself a king. He's put to death for taxation, for telling people, hey, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God that which is God. He was put to death for political reasons. He was put to death for sounding like a ruler of another country. In another territory. And they were afraid that their government was going to be overthrown. They were afraid that their, uh, the Roman Empire and the, their belief system and, and their way of doing things was going to be overthrown by this guy that came here saying he was a king. And this whole time, they were looking for the Messiah. I mean, you ever thought about it? They killed the very one. I mean, how could you miss it? but because they weren't looking for a kingdom. That's why Jesus had to say, repent, because the kingdom's here. He said, you're going to have to change the way you're thinking, or you're not going to hear a word I'm saying. And that's the problem that Jesus had throughout his entire ministry. The number one, the, the only obstacle in Jesus' way, there was no, no sickness in Jesus' way. No demon could stand in his way. He never came to a demon and said, oh, yeah, you're too tough, I can't get you. No storm was in his way. He walked on top of them. He told them to stop. The only thing that stayed in the way of Jesus and became the biggest hindrance and obstacle to his ministry was the religious people of that time that would not change their thinking. Guess what? If you don't change your thinking and you get away from religion and, and don't, if you don't uh, get away from religion into the kingdom... You're in Jesus' way. You're a hindrance. You are an obstacle. It was that way when he was here, and it's that way today. And Jesus in the earth today is his church. The people that are in the way of the church today, it's not sinners. The people that are, that are going to try to stop this church from doing what it's doing, it's not sinners. It's not demons. There's no sickness that can stop me. The only people that stand in the way is religious people. 
that come in here and do not want to change their thinking and do not want to get in the kingdom, learn how the kingdom operates, and get out of religion. That's it. John chapter 18. If Jesus was just a religious person, that when they went to sentence him or when they went to find his problem, why didn't they take him to the temple? Why didn't they take him to the church of that time? You know where they took him? They took him to a governor. They took him, they took him to a governing official. And his name was Pontius Pilate. And this is Jesus speaking with him in, in verse uh, 33. Pilate entered the praetorium, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? He just flat out asked him. Okay, I'm hearing everyone say that you've been calling yourself a king. Are you a king? First off, Pilate has, Pilate doesn't even care. He doesn't care. He doesn't even know why he's standing before this guy. He has no clue. So he says, look, I'm already ready to release you. I'm already ready to let you go. But since you're here, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself, or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation. Nation. Your own nation. And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him again, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say rightly, that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Hears my voice. And Pilate says. What is truth? So here is Jesus himself. Identifying himself as a king. Before another governing official. I mean if Jesus is going to back down to anybody. And put the king stuff and the kingdom stuff on the back burner, it's going to be in front of this guy because this guy can do something about it. And what does he say? He said, you say rightly. He even goes and tells him about his kingdom. It's not of this world. So he just stated that he is a king and that he has a kingdom. He even has servants that would fight for him in this kingdom, but his kingdom's not from here. So right there we identify that Jesus is king. He is the king of the kingdom of God. Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. So Jesus, the head of the church, is the king. That's huge. That should change some stuff for the way that, for who, for, for who we are, what we do, how we respond to things, how we live. You're the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is a king. That should change some stuff. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them. This is after he had already risen from the dead and right before he was about to ascend. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Been given to who? Him, Jesus. Jesus, being king, has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority. That's a lot of dominion. That's a lot of say-so. I have authority in heaven and on earth. Ephesians chapter 1. We were over there just a little bit earlier. Let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm making a case because I want to identify uh, to this church, if we're going to be the church and be his church, then we need to identify who the head is and what the head looks like. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and what? Seated him. Where's Jesus at? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Look at this. Far above all principality, far above power, might, in dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, here's the, here's the point I want to make. We're going to tie it together right here. Ready? If I sit down in this chair... What part of me sits down? Does my head take a seat and then my body still somewhere else? So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's the head of the church. The church is his body. Where is the body seated? The right hand of the Father. You know why that's so significant? Because that is a position of authority. That is a position of dominion. We just saw that Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 said, All authority has been given to me. Now, can authority be given to my head that's not given to my body? So that means we ought to be operating and exercising in some authority that maybe we didn't know about before. Maybe this is the first time we're hearing about this. But this is who you are. In Christ. Paul uses that term repeatedly. In Christ. I have a Bible at the house where I highlight it every time in the epistles that he says, in Christ. Because that is who you are. You are in Christ. Which means everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. Everything that Christ operates in, you operate in. Everything that Christ has control over, you have control over. And Jesus showed this. Was there anything that Jesus did not have dominion over? Did he have dominion over the weather? Did he have dominion over demons? 
Did he have dominion over sickness? Did he have dominion over death? He operated in authority and dominion in all these areas. And if he has been given the authority, then his body has been given the dominion and the authority. The church is his body. We are the church. Which means if we are going to properly represent the head, we need to be operating and exercising this type of authority and this type of dominion. Period. This is who you are. For a lot of people, this is hard to accept because it sounds like I'm saying you're just as good as Jesus. And that's not what I'm saying because without Jesus, you would have none of it. You can't go and die on the cross for someone else's sin. You can't go and die and be resurrected again from that type of... You can't do it. But we have an authority and a dominion that we are to walk in. That's what Sickness should have no position on us. Fear and worry. Jesus was never fearful or worried. Jesus was never sick. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why? Because the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is coming back for the church. And he will come back for the church. The question is, that's not the question. The question is, who's going to be that church? That's the question. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27, uh, Paul wrote that he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. A holy church. I was looking at some stuff online. I typed that in and saw some. People put some funny stuff on the internet. I don't know if they realize that everybody in the world can read this stuff. Um, but someone, it was some kind of blog or something. And, and somebody had responded to one of them and said, uh, and all, all the things said that someone was writing, writing about was uh, the church that Jesus is coming back for will be without spot or blemish. That's all it was. Didn't have a verse or nothing. And so this person, one of these people responded back and said, a church that hasn't sinned? Are you kidding me? Or something like that. And I'm thinking, this is in the Bible. No, I'm not kidding you. And it's not talking about a church that hasn't sinned. See, there's a difference between practicing righteousness and practicing sin. He's coming back for a church that is not practicing sin. That is not choosing to sin when they know what to do right. That's the church he's coming back for. I mean, we'll, And we'll get to it. We'll get to Revelations when we look at the seven churches. And only one out of the seven churches got a commending from God. Every other one of them had problems. One of them got spewed out of his mouth. (laughs) And that wasn't even that far along after Jesus had left. And here we are, 2,000-something years away. How far off of the trail have we gotten? We got to get back on the trail. We got to get back to looking like the church. The church. Last verse that I have. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. The church. He's coming back for the church, period. There's, he's not going to be up there and say, well, there's no church for me to go back for, so I'll just stay up here. He's coming back for the church. He's told us to occupy until I come. To occupy. Not lay back and wait or relax till I come. He said occupy. So there's going to be some work. There's something we got to do to occupy, to keep it clean. That we're supposed to be doing stuff. The, the, the word says that we are salt in the earth. We are the light of the world. How many lights are going to be off? How much salt is not going to be doing its job when he comes back? I mean, we, we think about, man, I just can't wait to get to the place. And I wish my life was like the Garden of Eden. Had nothing to do. That's not even right. You ever read Genesis? They had a job to do. They had to tend the garden. They had to cultivate the ground. They had to bear fruit and multiply. I mean, they had some work to do. They weren't just laying around in the grass saying, this is so awesome that God put us here. God put us here for a reason in this earth. And this thing is going downhill. You know what keeps the world from going downhill? You. You know what the number one job of salt is? It's not, it's not flavor. It's to preserve. It's not flavor. It's not to make someone thirsty so they'll want, thirst more for God. They do those things. number one job of salt is to retard something, to slow something down, to preserve something. If uh, I put sheetrock on those walls, they will have a certain type of flame retardant on them, depending on how thick the sheetrock is, which means the longer it takes for a fire to burn through it. That's why certain walls, I mean, these outside walls have to have much thicker sheetrock than these ones on the inside. So the fire doesn't get into the building. But it will slow it down. This will probably go maybe for an hour or two. If whatever I put on the inside may go for 30 minutes, it's a retardant. It slows it down. That's what we're supposed to do on the earth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, we're talking about Jesus, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. We just saw the other verse in Ephesians that said, All things are under his feet. So if you are the body, Jesus is the head, and you are attached to that head, and if everything is under his feet, then they're also under your feet. All things. This is exciting stuff. Make your enemies your footstool. That means they're your footstool. You know what what an enemy does? Helps you get to the next level. That's what a footstool does. It's simply a stepping stone. Every time someone comes against me, every time uh, someone persecutes me, that just lets me know I'm about to go to the next level. I'm just about to step on up. I'm about to move to the next level and become and move higher into what God wants me to do. The enemies are my footstool because they're his footstool. And I am his body attached to that head 
So whatever goes for him goes for me. And he said this in John 14, 12. John 14, 12, Jesus said, If you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do. And even greater works. You ever ask yourself, what is greater than raising the dead? What could be greater than that? You know why he used the word greater? He meant, he meant more. Happening more. Happening more times. With many different people. See, when Jesus was on the earth, think about this. When Jesus was on the earth, he's the only one that could do those works. He's the only one. Could you imagine being Jesus? 18 years of age, and his time had not yet come. He didn't start ministering until he was 30. 18 years old. And he's got someone next to him that's sick. I just got to be burning within you to want to just heal him. I mean, can you think about that? You have the answer. You have the problem. Or the answer to someone's problem. You have the provision to take care of someone else's needs. I mean, this gets rid of all the mentality that you're just here waiting to get to heaven. Look, heaven is not your answer. Because Jesus already said, you can have heaven on earth. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Who's doing the loosing? You. Where are you doing the loosing? On earth. If you bind it on earth, it will be bound in heaven. Who's doing the binding? We are. Where are you doing the binding? On earth. He said in Matthew chapter 6, when he said the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer that to pray for his will in heaven to come to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've just read over these verses. We haven't paid any attention. And I hope they're being illuminated to you now. I hope we're starting to grasp who we are. He's the head, we're the body, and we're attached to him. So let's represent Christ in this earth. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the head of this body. And I thank you that we are learning what it is to be your body.